This is Amateur Logic, episode 63 for February 15th, 2014. All about radio. This episode of AmateurLogic.tv is brought to you by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. Amateur Logic viewers, go to Gigaparts.com slash ALTV for specials on ICOM radios as well as Arduino and Raspberry Pi kits. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM and the Bidirect D-Star Infrastructure Program. Welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 63. I'm George. I'm Tommy. And I'm Peter. And it's great to be back with everyone again. We're doing a little something different today. We, we didn't really announce it until just a few minutes ago, but we're uh, doing a streaming test tonight while we're shooting the show. We've got a few people out there in the audience watching. but uh, Yeah, we had 18, including myself. Yeah, we don't know how many there are now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, we're having some growing pains here. We've been uh, doing some equipment upgrades in the studio here, so uh, yeah, we're having a big time, learning a lot, and uh, uh, saying a lot of ugly words too along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all going to pay off in the end, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, Tommy and I visited the Capital City Ham Fest in Jackson. This uh, was it. This past weekend. Was it two weekends ago? Two weekends ago. Two weekends ago. Had a big time. We're going to be showing you a little bit about that. Uh, Peter, what's been going on down under? Well, we're going through a heat wave down here. Uh, today's going to be 104 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 40 degrees Celsius. But the worst is yet to come tonight. We're having an overnight low of 30 degrees Celsius, which is about, I think, 86 uh, Fahrenheit. So it's going to be a really, really hot night. I'm not even going to try to go to sleep. So uh, apart from that, um, I've been working a bit of JT65 and uh, been uh, just, I think, uh, a night or two ago, I worked into South Korea and into Japan. And, uh, yeah, having a lot of fun. It's a great mode. Sounds like fun. Sounds like fun. Sounds hot, too. Yeah. For as hot as it is there, it has been unusually cold over here in the U.S. this year. Yeah, we actually had a little snow. Um, was it this past week? I saw four or five flakes out there. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's Ooh. a blizzard for us. Uh, just about. <laughs> they had some <laughs> snow south of us and some ice and stuff uh, a couple of weeks ago, but uh, only a half an inch or so around yeah. here really didn't uh, didn't make. Have, have you guys, being in the northern hemisphere, have you guys ever had a uh, a white Christmas? Um, I think maybe one year it snowed at Christmas. We. We get snow here every few years. Uh, I, I haven't in Mississippi. I, I did have a white Christmas when I lived in Virginia one time. Yeah. Oh, so okay. It could happen. Cool. But usually um, down here in central Mississippi, in the northern part, they get snow more often. But down here, maybe every three or four years, we might get an inch or two. Yeah. And, uh, 
So that's kind of how that goes. Well, as we mentioned a minute ago. That's enough of it. Though. That is enough of it. Yeah. Tommy and I <laughs> went to um, the Capital City Ham Fest and had a great time down there. We wanted to do something a little bit different this time around. So uh, we've got a little video here that uh, we think you're going to enjoy. We're back here at the Jackson Amateur Radio Club's Capital City Ham Fest for 2014. Looks like it's going to be a good event this year. A lot of vendors here. Tommy, what what do you think? Are we going to buy some stuff here? Oh, yeah. I got a little shopping list I prepared for. I came out. What are you looking for? Well, I'm going to get, obviously, some PL259s. That kind of goes without saying. need uh, an adapter to use Andy talkie in my wife's car when we're traveling. And... Uh, various and sort of things i need some wires some connectors for projects and stuff like that yeah I, I don't have anything in particular on my list i do want to get some more of those anderson power pole connectors and i think richard's got some here at mfj so i'm going to hit him up in a little bit and see if i can work out a deal there and get that a uh, brother-in-law discount <laughs> but um uh, we saw Wayne here coming in the door a minute ago so we're going to have to catch up with him too but a lot of friends here and uh uh, I think we need to get to shopping. Yeah, Wayne's prepared. He had a backpack on so he can fill it up. So, yeah, I'm ready to go buy some stuff. Let's do it. Okay. Walking around the ham fest here, and I found some squirrel-proof rope. I think I'm going to have to add some of this to my shopping list. Maybe maybe they can't chew on that too good. Well, I'm talking with Don Keith here in 4KC, and Don is the author of Riding the Short Waves, Exploring the Magic of Amateur Radio, a new book here that's, uh, well, I'll just let Don tell you about it. Don, I know you've written other books. Is this this the first one on ham radio, and what's the story? Why did you write this? I'd like to say it took me 53 years to write that book. I got my ham license when I was 13, which was 53 years ago. But I kept hearing about how the Internet and the cell phone was making ham radio obsolete. I violently disagree. So I decided to take that argument and uh, put it into a book where I would show not only newcomers, but people who actually get into the hobby and get that license and then sort of hit a, a brick wall. H- how to get them past that point and talk about all the other great things that ham radio ha- has to offer. Yeah, because so many people get licensed as a technician and mostly operate, I guess, 2 meters and 70 centimeters, but there's a whole other world out there, isn't there? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with 2 meters and 70 centimeters, but you get a lot of people to get into the hobby to do storm spotting or emergency communications or to talk to their husband or wife on the way to work and back or whatever, and they never realize how much more is out there. I sort of emphasize the short waves because I think HF, the high frequencies, is is one of the areas where people can find... Uh, aspects of the hobby that match other things that they're interested in. So that's really what I'm trying to do. And I did it a little different way. I, I've got some articles in there that are how-to articles that I, I write sort of lightheartedly and I don't get too technical. But I've also got some fiction, some stories that sort of illustrate the points that I'm trying to make and I think to try to make it as entertaining as I can. I, I kind of think uh, antennas is one of the big stumbling blocks. That's why most people rush out and buy an HT with a rubber ducky antenna. And then they have trouble hitting a local repeater and they get discouraged. So I try to give them some tips on how to get an antenna up, especially for HF. I've got an article in there called the Top 5 Get on the Air Quick Antennas, uh, which will get them working DX or talking around the country and rag chewing or contesting or nets or whatever very quickly. Yeah, I, I picked up a copy of this yesterday. I just briefly skimmed through it last night. 
I haven't really had a chance to read it a lot yet, but uh, yeah, really good work there, Don. You've got some interesting stories in there from what I can tell, and um, I'm looking forward to, to reading the book, and uh, good luck with it. You know, I, I hope it serves its purpose. I hope you sell a lot of copies, but I know you really just want to make more hams or get guys back. Well, I say it all the time. I'm just being an evangelist for ham radio because it, it's given me 53 years worth of pleasure, but it also re- led to a career for me. And because I was in ham radio, I was able to get into broadcasting, and I did that for a lot of years. So that sort of thing, I think, will encourage a lot of people to at least take a look at what the hobby has to offer. And, and If I can evangelize, I'll evangelize. Plus, I'm giving you some ammunition to evangelize, too, if you want to. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I appreciate you talking with us, Don. Good luck with the book and your other books. I know you've got a, a number of other uh, stories here, a lot of, uh, a lot of military stuff. Well, I've done a lot of books on World War II history, about submarines. I've done a couple of thrillers. Uh, I've got a submarine thriller that will be a major motion picture next year, so I'm excited about that. I, I write about what, I, what interests me, and I hope enough people are interested in the same thing that maybe they'll buy a book or two. All right. Thanks for talking with us, Don. 73. Thank you, George. 73 to you. Enjoy the show. Now we ran into Tommy Gober here. He's a friend of uh, Bill Richardson. You remember, Bill, we covered the balloon launch from Old Town Middle School. What you guys up to here? Uh, just hanging out with Bill, and uh, good to see him. He's uh, one of the uh, alums from the ARRL Teachers Institute program that we're doing. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, he was telling me uh, they've got some things going on with the APRS, I think, with some of that. Yeah, uh, he's very, very active with the kids, getting them excited about APRS, uh, high-altitude ballooning several of their programs. Uh, this summer, uh, he's going to be working with the league doing some remote sensing stuff with microcontrollers. I'm sure you'd be excited to hear a little bit more about that from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll talk to him about that sometime in the future. Tell me about the AR, ARRL Teacher Institute. That's the first time I've heard of it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's super awesome. Uh, any uh, teacher, any public, private school teacher, uh, especially like K-12 through teachers, uh, we invite them to come. It's a week-long it's a trip that's free for teachers to come to. We give them a week of training. We give them stuff for their classes, all sorts of resources to take back to their classrooms. And we cover, you know, basic electronics, satellites, the basics of radio. We get into microcontrollers so we can get them to start into robotics. All the cool, exciting stuff we love about ham radio, we're trying to get that into the kids in the classroom to get them excited about school. Oh, that's incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys have a pretty good success rate at getting them licensed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had, you know, when I was in the classroom, I had my students get licensed. Uh, Bill's got his students licensed. I've uh, met some other teachers here that had their students get licensed as well. Um, it's just once the students are exposed to a lot of the, the cool stuff with ham radio, it takes on a, a, a new meaning. Instead of just saying, hey, ham radio is fun, we say this is what you can do with ham radio. Yeah, kids in nowadays are into computers, so the microcontroller, Raspberry Pi, stuff like that, and uh, any of the maker stuff is kind of cool to a certain, yeah. certain crowd of them. It's, very, it's, a, it's a lot of really fun stuff, and, uh, you know, as a lot of the, the viewers know, that we, you know, we have fun with ham radio, and that's what we need to pass on to the kids is, hey, ham radio and technology is a lot of fun, too. Yeah, so uh, where are you located? Uh, I'm located in northeast Texas. I'm in Longview, Texas, and uh, we have uh, instructors all around the, the country. Uh, Bill is uh, here in the Mississippi area. And uh, in the Jackson area, and uh, we have uh, two other team members that are up in uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then Mark Spencer, who started the program, is uh, in Connecticut, uh, not too far from HQ. 
That's, that's excellent. How can people find out more about the uh, Teacher Institute? Yeah, if you want to find out more, if you want to pass along to another teacher, uh, we would love uh, to have any uh, public-private school teachers uh, come and visit, um, check out the program. You can uh, learn about our program and also apply at arrl.org slash ti, and that will take you where you need to be. Excellent. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Thanks for coming. We were wandering around the ham fest here, and guess who we ran into? The guys from Ham Dynasty. Ham Hi, guys. Dynasty. Hi, good morning. Uh, what's, what's your name? Tony, Tony. K- KD8BMA. Good to meet you, Tony. And we know this guy here. Uh, he came out of the backwoods of Mississippi. This is Bill. Yeah. Hi, y'all. Hope y'all watching. And then we got one more beard over here. This is KF5JSX. What, what's your name? Jeffrey. Jeffrey, where are you from? Zachary, Louisiana. Zachary, okay, just, just down the road a piece. A couple hours. Not, not bad. And, and Bill, we know where he's from, central Mississippi. Yeah, right in the, state, in the middle of the state of Mississippi in the great big community of Macville. And you're from? Pearl, right outside of Jackson. Okay, right here. So that's just proof Arkansas is not the only state that can grow good beards. That is true. That is true. Well, thank. Quite correct. Quite correct. Oh, we got one more over here, and uh, you're from Zachary as well. Sure am, George KC5HMI. Okay, George. The people in Mississippi call me homemade ice cream. That's good phonetics. Well, we appreciate y'all guys stopping and talking to us. We're waiting on the next show of Ham Dynasty. What What do y'all have planned, Bill? I don't know right now, but it's probably going to involve duck hunting ducks and playing with duck calls. Okay, that sounds good. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Have a good afternoon. Well, there you go. Some ham fest fun. Boy, we were lucky to run into those ham dynasty guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty awesome, man. Those guys were great to play along with that. Yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised that... Um, uh, we gathered up uh, Bill and the guy on the right-hand side there right away. We th- we had no trouble getting them. We needed somebody else. <laughs> and I saw the guy from Zachary way back there, and I said, Tommy, go get that guy yeah. <laughs> to come do this. Yeah. yeah, it's not every day you go run around a ham fest asking people if you can borrow their beards to come over in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, we're kind of he, – he didn't even know what the show was. He'd never watched it yeah. before. So we're – we're mighty proud of him and the other guy from Zachary who just walked up. Yeah, you know, so just happened to have a beard. Just happened to have one. Uh, Tommy, you just yeah, you're gonna have to let yours yeah. go a little more. Yeah, I got a I got a little mini Duck <laughs> Dynasty thing going on here. Yeah, well, let's get on into some emails here. We're gonna have some more Hamfest stuff after a while. Some some interesting things. Like I say, we tried to do something a little different this time. What's on your email stack over there first for this episode, Tommy? Yeah, I've got one from Dennis, KD6AXQ. He said, Hi, Tommy, I've been following your projects using the Raspberry Pi and DVAP dongle. I finally collected all the parts to assemble my own DVAP Pi. Your instructions and examples made setup, programming, and installation a breeze. I was using my MacBook with my DVAP and ID51 for DSTAR, but every time my laptop would time out and it would hibernate, I would lose my connection. Using the Pi solved that problem. My sweetheart has ordered a DHAP, a DHAP for my birthday thanks to your evaluation of it on AmateurLogic.tv. 
Thanks again for your help getting me on the air. Yes, yeah, that was a pretty popular segment. I think it's probably one of my uh, better ones, I think. Yeah, people are really into that uh, DVAP stuff and the DV dongle and all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if they've got a client for the DV dongle. I keep wanting to get them confused. Mm-hmm. For the Raspberry Pi. I, I saw somebody had to ask that on uh, Facebook, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I don't think there's one out. But you can go to, I think it's dvdongle.com maybe, and then there's a file section on there. Um, you can look for it. Okay. Uh, good advice. We'll, we'll probably hear from someone who looks at that and mm-hmm. see if they can come up with something. Well, Peter, it's your turn now. What have you got on your email stack? I've got an email here from PG, and I will just use his initials. Um, and he asks, would something like Dropbox or Ubuntu One run on the Raspberry Pi, where you could auto-sync your files to the cloud and then auto-sync then to a Winbox? Uh, I did uh, I did actually find a, a solution. I've emailed that back to, uh, 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 back to PG. So, uh, yeah, thanks for your email, PG. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's... That's good to know. Yeah, you know, you can actually set up a share on your Linux box and mm-hmm. sync your files directly without actually having to go to the cloud, as long as they're in the same network. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a number of solutions out there. Just mm-hmm. a, a little search and we'll bring them up. Well, right now, let's have a message from one of our fine sponsors, Gigaparts. ICOM has pushed the envelope of Mobile HF once again with the IC7100. The IC7100 features touchscreen controls, giving you a more intuitive portal into the IC7100's feature settings and menus. The uniquely designed control head provides a comfortable viewing angle, making it easy to use for both mobile and base station operation. No optional filters or add-ons are needed. Everything is included. The IC7100's 32-bit floating-point DSP powered by dual DSP chips, gives you full digital IF stage filter controls on all bands, HF through 70 centimeters. The IC7100 features built-in voice recording and playback functions, as well as an SD card slot for voice storage and radio cloning, a RIDI decoder, and high-frequency stabilization. It doesn't stop there. D-Star is also built in, providing DV mode operation on all bands, including HF. Stay ahead of the curve with the uncompromising IC7100 from ICOM. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 866-535-4442, and our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability, and free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on Live Chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. Amateur Logic viewers use the promo code ALTVFEB in the month of February 
to receive $15 off the new MFJ259C antenna analyzer. And now, I think, Tommy, you've got something, a little tip you gave us this time around, didn't you? Yeah, we, I, I did. Uh, we're going to talk about some pie security. You really don't want your pie uh, stolen. Well, here lately, we've covered a lot of topics on the Raspberry Pis. Last month, we actually had three segments that had Raspberry Pi in them all in one episode. And it got me thinking about something that we've been a little bit negligent about covering. We've mentioned it off and on, but I wanted to cover security for this thing. Even though it's small, it's still a computer. And a lot of people like myself have it exposed to the outside. So if I'm away, I can get back into here and get to my files or different things like that. And we need to cover some basic things to make sure that you take precautions that people can't compromise your little computer here. By default, if you don't enable SSH or something, a service, you're probably pretty much okay. But let's go with best practice and let's go in and change that password for the default Pi user. Every Raspberry Pi that gets built that runs the Raspbian OS has the same username, the same password, and I bet you 99% of them out there haven't been changed. So when you get logged into your computer, you want to run um, sudo raspy config. One of the first things you want to do is change the user password. So let's go ahead in there. We're going to change the new password for Pi, which is the default account. It's normally Raspberry, but I'm going to change it to something top secret. And I'm going to confirm it. And that's done. While we're in here, let's go into the advanced options. Let's change the host name. As you can see, I've already changed mine. I'll just do it again. I'll call it ALTV Pi. And if you want to be able to SSH in, you need to disable that or enable that. If you don't need to do that, go in and double check and make sure that it's disabled. And we'll do that in the advanced options as well. SSH. And I have mine enabled. I want to leave it enabled. Go in and disable that if you don't need it. That's going to turn off the daemon that's running that allows you to connect remotely through the SSH tunnel. And I'm going to leave mine on because I use it a lot. I'm actually using it now. So, And once you're done, tab out and finish. And then it's going to want to reboot. Once you reboot and come back, you're going to have to log back in with Pi and whatever the new password that you gave. So there's a lot of other things that we can do to secure the Raspberry Pi, but those are the biggest things, the most easy to do. Um, you might want to research changing the default username of Pi. There's an easy command line that you can use to do it, and I'll put the command line right here. But you're going to have to create an extra account, give them sudo or access, and log in as that guy to change the Pi name. I just left mine alone, but I gave it a very complex password, so I don't think I have too much to worry about. The other thing is run apt-get update and apt-get upgrade and keep your system up to date. Those patches that come out, they come out for a reason, and most of them have security vulnerabilities fixed as well as 
you know, enhanced features on some of them, but the main thing you want to keep those patches on for the security holes to be taken care of that are found. I hope these tips help you secure your Raspberry Pi. If you have any questions, as always, shoot me an email at Tommy at AmateurLogic.tv and I'll do my best to answer them for you. Tommy, that was some good tips there. You know, um, you, you should change those passwords. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and use, like I said, use a strong password. Don't just use, some, you know, your wife or your kid's name or something. Mix it up. Mix the case up. Put some numbers in there. Some punctuation. I've got an email here that comes from Larry Backstrom. Actually, this is a Facebook post. It's not an email. And he said it took 41 years, but he just passed the exam thanks to Amateur Logic. He said he was 16 years old when he learned and studied the code for the exam, but the gear was just much too expensive for him as a teen. So he went on to play with computers in high school and PDP-8 via teletype, model 33, using an acoustic coupler modem, and it was a lot of fun, and he became a software engineer. Anyway, fast forward 41 years, and he found Amateur Logic on the Roku, and he says, I've been watching all the new things that you're doing by merging computers and radios, and that sparked my interest again in amateur radio. Then I saw um, a flyer about a class being held in his area uh, for him becoming a ham, and uh, he went and took the class, and yesterday he passed his technician, and his general in one setting. And uh, now he can't wait to get his call sign so that he can get on the air. And congratulations there. We're we're glad you finally made it to the hobby. It, you're going to have a blast. It's a lot of fun. You can do a lot with computers and radios. Yeah, and thanks for letting us know about it. Uh, that's the kind of things yeah. I love to hear. Uh, anytime we can uh, kind of help. Push you over the edge. The hobby. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's, that's good stuff right there. That is. And there's actually a, a good lesson in that, and that is that uh, any people who are going for their, shall we say, base grade or lowest level qualification, don't be afraid at the same time to go for the next qualification above. You've got nothing to lose, and the stuff is all fresh in your mind, and chances are you might just pass it. Yeah, you know, I just did a VE session at the Hamfest here a couple of weeks ago, and it was interesting uh, I had never noticed this in doing one before. I don't know why I hadn't. But uh, the tests that, you know, were completed first and came in for grading, man, those folks were knocking it out. Excellent grades on those. And uh, then, uh, of course, most of them decided, well, yeah, they'll go ahead and take the next grade. There were... Uh, that second round of tests coming in, there were a lot more wrong answers. Some people still passed, and I was thinking, well, it looks like if you finish the test fast, you're going to pass. If you take a long time, you're going to fail. But no, that's because they were taking something they hadn't studied for. Yeah. So, but but yeah, I do take it. I took my general and extra in one sitting. I had not studied for the extra, and I had a lot of red marks, but. Hey, it, yeah, I got, you got through. A good chance it doesn't cost any more. You're sitting right there. Exactly. Go for it. Yeah, Peter, yeah. what have you got down there next? Yeah, I've got one more email here, and this one is from Troy. Uh, I've recently become a ham here in the good old USA, KJ6RNL, and through Ham Nation discovered AmateurLogic.tv. I love the programs, and I'm currently up to episode 22, Signals Museum Part Two. He wants to suggest a story for our show, um, and it's uh, he's a, a friend of his. Oh, sorry, 
my apologies. Um, this is an email from Richard, and his good friend is Troy, who is a fellow countryman of yours, uh, must be an Australian, constructed a video or Vidicon TV camera from scratch recently in a pure and beautiful case of guerrilla engineering. He's also begun a marvellous collection of vintage broadcast television cameras from around Australia, and he gives us a link. Unfortunately, um, uh, Richard, the... Uh, uh, the link doesn't work, or it's not currently working, so can't actually go and uh, have a look at that page. But we will give Richard's link here, uh, labguysworld.com. Richard's doing a lot of interesting stuff with vintage video, too, so in uh, lieu of not being able to see Troy's stuff, uh, we Americans over here will cover for, for you, Peter, and uh, <laughs> we'll give you the labguysworld.com. <laughs> Okay, great. I'll check that out. Yeah. And uh, Peter, tell us, uh, what what have you got for us this month? I know you got something special. Well, um, I was re- I'm a big uh, Hack 5 uh, fan, and just watching the latest episode with Shannon Morse, and uh, she's been having some fun with uh, the TV dongle. You, you re- recall we uh, showed, showed how you could use that as a scanner, basically, on VHF and UHF. And, uh, yes, yeah, she's like a, what is it, a kid in a confectionery store uh, having a lot of fun. But it occurred to me that uh, she sort of really didn't know her way around the band. So that's not a criticism. It's all fairly new. And it reminded me of when I was young and I kind of knew that well, there was a band over here and a band over there. But I didn't understand the bigger picture. So I put this segment together to try to, try to assist people who are new to radio to understand what it's all about. Hello everyone and welcome once again. This month, the electromagnetic spectrum. What is it? Well, to most of you, none of this will be very new at all. However, to some of our younger or newer viewers, uh, some of the information I'm about to present will be of some use, I think. I can remember when I was quite young and I was starting out with crystal sets and uh, I had my granddad's AM and shortwave radio And, uh, you know, I used to tune around and and listen to stations and I sort of understood that there was a band here and a band there, but I never really understood the bigger picture. And so that's what this segment is is about this month, is about taking all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle and trying to put it together so we kind of have an overview of what radio was all about. Also, we're going to start right at the very bottom of the electromagnetic spectrum and work our way up and talk about some of the things that you can hear if you've got a scanner or a radio. Let's go back 38 years to when I was 10 and knew virtually nothing about radio. My parents bought for me a small, inexpensive crystal radio, somewhat like the rocket radios that many of you will have played with as a child. Rocket radios are simply crystal radios built into a plastic rocket case and which are tuned by moving the ferrite rod in the coil rather than using a variable capacitor. From memory, the components in my crystal radio were a coil, the ferrite rod, a couple of fixed capacitors, a geranium diode, an alligator clip and a crystal earpiece. This allowed me to listen to the broadcast band and hear radio stations and soon I learned that my reception differed according to the conductivity of the materials I connected my alligator clip to. One other thing my crystal radio taught me was that the AM radio band didn't just run from 530 kilohertz to 1620 kilohertz. 
My ferrite rod could tune a bit further either side of the band and soon I was hearing strange people talking to each other, often in a strange jargon. What I was hearing were the 1.8 MHz ham radio crossband transmissions put out each Saturday night by VK3, ASE and Friends. Well, it's coming, it's coming down into the Indian Ocean at the moment and they saw it burning up over Perth, well, from Perth they could see it burning up. Is it on the Seabers, anything that's going on with it? Well, if you tune into VKLO, you'll hear all this rubbish from Houston. Oh, I must do tunes. I'll fill up the rest of the log tape with that. Other things I heard above the band were telephone calls at about 1,700 kilohertz and also transmissions from an educational radio station called VL2UV in Sydney. Students would use detuned AM radios to listen to lectures via the radio station. It was an innovative radio station and arguably the forerunner of the university courses being run via the internet today. It also had covered an exotic range of topics. Ironically, little did I know that in later years I would complete a couple of qualifications at that same university by correspondence. Soon I learned that really there was just one band, the electromagnetic spectrum. If you look at older radios, you'll see that the tuning dials are measured in cycles, kilocycles or megacycles. Later, this was changed to hertz, kilohertz and megahertz in honour of Heinrich Hertz, who discovered electromagnetic waves. Each radio transmission is electromagnetic energy travelling through space. That energy is like a vibration, or like the waves you see on the ocean, in the same way that sea waves can be seen to be oscillating back and forth between a low and a high point, electromagnetic waves can be conceptualised as electromagnetic oscillations between positive and negative states. The number of times per second an electromagnetic wave oscillates is its frequency and is measured in hertz or on older radios in cycles. 1,600,000 hertz is 1.6 million oscillations per second, which is the same as 1,600 kilohertz. A kilohertz is 1,000 hertz. It's also the same as 1.6 megahertz. A megahertz can be either of two things. It's either 1 million hertz or a very large car rental company. Let's take the extreme example of a frequency of one cycle per second. Radio waves travel at the speed of light, and light travels at exactly 299,792,458 metres per second. So if we measure the distance travelled by a radio wave at this frequency over a single cycle or hertz, we will see that it travels 299,792,458 metres over a time period of one second. As the frequency or number of cycles per second increases, the distance travelled by each cycle or hertz decreases. So, for example, at a frequency of 14 million cycles or hertz per second, we can calculate that the distance travelled by each individual cycle will be approximately 21.41 metres. We can see then that for each frequency, there's a corresponding wavelength, and on some older radios, particularly on the short wave bands, an area of the band would be referred to by its wavelength. 
For example, even today, amateur radio operators still refer to their allocation of radio frequencies near 14 MHz as the 20 meter band, and their allocation of radio frequencies around 1.8 MHz as the 160 meter band. The electromagnetic spectrum and its frequencies starts at 0 Hz, or really just above 0 Hz, and extends upwards from there. Starting at the bottom, let's identify some of the major bands and things you'll find if you tune around with a scanner or radio receiver. From about 140 kHz to 530 kHz, you'll find long-wave beacons, and in Europe, some long-wave radio stations. As the wavelength is so long at these frequencies, the transmission towers are massive. From 520 kHz to about 1800 kHz, you'll find the AM broadcast band and your local radio stations. At this point, the numbers of hertz start to get a bit big, so it's convenient to refer to everything in MHz. 1800 kHz is the same as 1.8 MHz. From 1.8 MHz up to 27 MHz is the shortwave band, and here you'll find a mixture of frequency allocations used for amateur radio, shortwave broadcasting, utility traffic, weather transmissions, and long-distance radio communication. Frequencies around 27 MHz are often used for citizen band radio in many countries. Once upon a time, this band of frequencies was a ham band and is still referred to by many as the 11 metre band. Around 28 MHz is the 10 metre ham band. Frequencies below 30 MHz are referred to as HF, or high frequency radio, and are notable in that they can often reflect off the ionosphere and be received many thousands of miles away at certain times and in certain conditions. This is how ham radio operators are able to communicate with other ham radio operators overseas. From above 30 MHz, most signals, not all, tend to not be reflected and thus are fairly local. From 30 MHz to 300 MHz is the very high frequency band, and here you'll find the 52 MHz and 144 MHz ham bands, TV channels, army communications, some satellite communications, aircraft communications and business radio channels. 76 to 108 MHz is also used for FM broadcasting in some countries. If you look at your VHF TV antenna, you'll see that the elements range up to a couple of metres long. At VHF frequencies, the wavelength is by now much smaller, in the range of 1 to 10 metres, and you no longer need an AM broadcast tower size antenna to transmit or receive a signal efficiently. The UHF band runs from 300 MHz to 3000 MHz, or put another way, 3 GHz, and has many services similar to the VHF band. In Australia, there is Citizens Band Radio at 477 MHz, and around 430 MHz is the 70 centimetre ham band. By now, the wavelength is so short that it's easy to make an efficient antenna that can be put on a handheld radio. There are also cellular phone transmissions, the 2.4 GHz Wi-Fi band and the 1.2 GHz ham band. 
above 3 gigahertz, there are less uses for the spectrum at this stage, but uses include satellite communications, radio astronomy, various ham radio allocations, and 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi band. That finishes off our tour of the radio spectrum. I hope that helps viewers who are new to radio understand how all the different radio bands are really just different portions of the one resource. Tommy, I think it's time we pay the bills here. Why don't we have a message from MFJ, and they've got something brand new to talk about this week. Cool. For years, hams have relied on the world's most popular antenna analyzer, the MFJ-259B. That compact battery-powered RF impedance analyzer combined four basic circuits, a 1.8 to 170 megahertz variable frequency oscillator, a frequency counter, a 50-ohm RF bridge, and an 8-bit microcontroller. Now the MFJ-259 has been updated to the new MFJ-259C. All the same great functions present in the 259B with an expanded frequency range. The MFJ-259C covers all frequencies from 530 kHz to 230 MHz, allowing measurements all the way from the AM broadcast band through the 220 MHz amateur band. Make a wide variety of useful antenna impedance measurements, including coaxial cable loss and distance to an open or short. Primarily designed for analyzing 50-ohm antenna and transmission line systems, the MFJ-259C also measures RF impedances between a few ohms and several hundred ohms. It also functions as a signal source and a frequency counter. The MFJ-259C gives you a complete picture of your antenna's performance. Read antenna SWR and complex impedance, determine velocity factor, coaxial cable loss in dB, length of coax, and distance to a shorter opening feet. Read SWR. SWR, return loss, and reflection coefficient at any frequency simultaneously at a single glance. You can even read inductance and microhenries and capacitance and picofarads at RF frequencies. The large, easy-to-read two-line LCD screen and side-by-side meters clearly display all the information you need. While a lot of new antenna analyzers have appeared in the market recently, none give you the flexibility and wide assortment of RF measurement capabilities the MFJ-259C does. If you've been putting off getting an antenna analyzer, then you need to take a look at the new MFJ-259C. Visit MFJEnterprises.com today. Tommy, you know, I've got one of those 259Cs over there on the bench, and I'm going to be playing with it in the future, and uh, we're going to see what it'll do. Yeah, I really like uh, having those other bands. I don't use 220 megahertz. I don't think we have any repeaters or any activity here in Jackson, although in some parts of the world and in the U.S., you know, they, they do use 220. Yeah, the only time I actually used it was at Dayton. Yeah, and, and being a broadcast engineer, you know, this thing covers the AM broadcast band. And I used to use, you know, $10,000 worth of equipment to do impedance measurements on AM broadcast antennas. And I really want to check this thing out on a on an AM broadcast station cool. and compare it to some of that expensive gear and you know see how it works out because uh, could could be a really uh, a really great piece of gear for a broadcast engineer to have. Now you might still want the the pro stuff or your official proofs, but for quick checks, man, this yeah. this could be just a thing. Yeah, looks like a nice piece of gear. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, we got a little more Hamfest footage here. We found some great stuff there this year, and uh, I think we ought to go take a look at that. You know, when I was a kid, my father had one of these. Uh, his was an old World War II Willis Jeep, 
I don't know if this is exactly the same. This one says it's manufactured by General, but it really brings back a lot of memories. A big old stick shift up here. It says that the maximum speed is 65 miles per hour, although there's only 60 on the speedometer here. This one's got 20,000 miles on it. So a nice, low-mileage, one-owner vehicle here will make you a great deal on it. This one looks like it's an inline four-cylinder here. You notice the distributor here is uh, sealed up, waterproof. There are shielded cables on it, so you're not going to have spark plug noise. The horn on these things sounded uh, quite unique. I don't, I don't think we'll blow it, but uh, uh, just, just a really a nice vehicle. We used to go fishing in it. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this may be an oil breather where there's oil inside of it. I, I could be totally off base on that. In the rear seat here is the radio operator's position. There's some nice old rigs here. I don't know much about these, but I think this is a microphone right here. Of course, there's one on the headset. Got one rig over here on this side. Looks like this is probably a tuning unit, but I really don't know. Another rig over here on the other side. And I guess... I just don't know if these are different bands or backup units or exactly what it is. This thing has two really heavy-duty whips on it here. If you come on down, it's got a, a nice spring here, but the mount is a little bit unusual. There's a tuning unit inside of here. I, I suppose that you could select different bands or, or different ranges of frequencies right here at the bottom of it, and uh, you wouldn't need an external tuner for it. Of course, we got some spare gas here. You never know when you're going to need that. Boy, what a great old rig. Well, they got several of these old Army trucks here at the Ham Fest. They're pretty cool. This one's kind of rusty, not quite in good shape as George's dad, dad's over there next to it. But uh, my dad didn't have one like this, but my Uncle Jed did before they moved to Beverly Hills. And um, anyway, they probably still got it sitting out there by the cement pond somewhere. Let's take a look around it and see what we can find. There's not any radio gear in here at all. I'm pretty sure this thing's made by Jeep. It's pretty nice. It's got its own winch, and I'm not going to go anywhere with that. I'm just going to leave that alone. <laughs> it's uh, number four, and uh, there's really not a lot to say. It's a pretty cool little vehicle. I wouldn't mind having one of these to have to go out mud riding and stuff. Make a cool play toy. But uh, anyway, it's pretty awesome. Now, here's another old Jeep here. This one's a little bit different than the other one we looked at. Uh, this one can actually go underwater somewhat. you got the breather stack up here that extends up above it. Also, you've got the tailpipe back here in the rear to, to keep those up out of the water. So you can go a little bit other places that you couldn't get in a regular Jeep. There are a couple of radios here in the back of it. One of them here, I guess you would call this a, a pre-handy talkie. This rig here straps on your back. It looks quite heavy. They didn't have rubber ducks in those days, but they did have these right here. It's a flexible metal. You can fold this down to make it somewhat portable. You got a gooseneck on the antenna as well, so you could operate in different positions. There's another rig over here on the other side that looks more permanently mounted down. Uh, another nice-looking old military vehicle. This one, believe it or not, was built by Ford Motor Company. 
Well, you guys have probably seen something similar to this riding up and down the road. A lot of people had them before the gas prices got so high. But this is a Humvee, and uh, obviously it's the military model. This thing is one tough machine. It's got the uh, the exhaust pipe is routed above the water. The breather for the air intake is routed up above the water here, so you can take this thing into water where you can just barely see out of the windshield, and it'll just keep on chugging. I'm sure this thing gets some really great gas mileage, too. Look at the size of the tires on that thing. This one's got a lot of radio gear in it, too. I have no idea what that stuff is, but anyway, it's all mounted up there so you can operate it from the front seat. And uh, this is a four-door vehicle, which is pretty awesome. This one's got a couple antennas on the back. It's got one of the big whips like the one George showed you just a few minutes ago. It's got the same tuning unit at the bottom. But then we got a smaller whip over here on the other side. So I'm guessing that's actually two different radios for two different bands up there in the front that we just saw. Um, anyway, it's a pretty nice machine if you can afford to keep the gas in it. Well, it's been a pretty fun ham fest. I got several of things on my shopping list. I'm, I missed a couple that I wanted. Did you find everything you needed? Well, no, not everything, but I did get some good stuff. I got a 12-volt, 12-ampere-hour lead-acid battery for 20 bucks. Uh, it looks, looks like it's going to be good. Uh, some Anderson power pole connectors. I got some uh, BNC connectors that I needed. And I got another battery clip for my handy-talkie. But there's a few minutes left. I'm going to take one more swing through here before they close the doors and see. You know, there's still some money in my pocket, and it's not good to go home that way. So, yeah, Now's about the time when you get the good deals, too. They'll start ripping the price tags off and making deals to get rid of it. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, of course, usually it's the heavy stuff that they do that with. Yeah, I don't want to haul it back home. Well, I ended up with one of the same batteries. It's almost like we shopped at the same place. Well, I, I think we did. Yeah. So I got one of the batteries. I got some antenna connectors, a few PL259s, and uh, some Anderson power poles. Yeah. Uh, saw a lot of friends here, and uh, another good year. It's cold this year, though, in Mississippi. Uh, we didn't have ice or snow, but we certainly had the temperature down in the 20s last night. It's warmed up a little today, but I saw some trucks out here from down south of here in Louisiana covered in ice. Yeah, they, they, I was going to say they uh, had some ice and snow down that way, so it might have affected the turnout a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what the numbers were. But it looks like a good crowd actually still here this late. Yeah, it is. And I think they're fixing to call my name here on this giveaway. So, yeah. so you better get over there so you can get them to hand you your stuff. Yeah, well, I told him to draw my name, and I, I know he will. <laughs> it's my turn. It's never happened before. Yeah, I won a uh, thermostat here, or actually a thermometer here one time. Yeah? Well, um, what did you do with it? It's still in the box. <laughs> it's the one that goes in a reefer truck. It's a nice thermometer, but I don't have a reefer truck, so it's not doing me a lot of good. But still, it's kind of cool. It's the only thing I think I've ever won here. Well, I don't guess you need the truck if you don't have any reefers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, what about those uh, Ham Dynasty guys? That was pretty cool to run into them here. Yeah, it was. I was not expecting to see any stars here today, so that that was cool, man. They, the crowd, you know, just had them covered up. I'm glad we were able to pull them away for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks to those guys for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Yeah. All right. Well, great year here at the Ham Fest. I hope we'll see some more of you here next year. And for those that we did see at the Ham Fest, it was good to see you. Yep, 73. 73.
It's always a lot of fun to visit a ham fest, no matter how big or how small or how medium it is. Yeah, that was a good one. We had had a pretty decent turnout, considering the, the bad weather that we had in, to the south of us. Yeah, it, there was, you know, like we said, trucks out there with ice on them coming up from Louisiana. And, uh, you know, they don't get that stuff down there very often. No, it's like it's almost like the whole weather pattern turned upside down, because uh, they actually got it uh, last week down there also. Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, those batteries you guys picked up will be really useful for field day. Yeah, I think Tommy got a better one than I did. The voltage is dropping off quicker on mine than it is on his. Yeah, mine's holding charge good. Uh, 12 amp hours for 20 bucks. That was a pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, right now, let's... Um, what do we want to do, Tommy? I think we need to earn some more money to pay for some of this gear we're abusing. Yeah, let's see what race guys are up to. ICOM America and ICOM Canada are teaming up to offer ham radio operators some incredible savings. You can get a great deal on a D-Star repeater direct from ICOM and help expand D-Star across North America. For a limited time, ICOM is offering a bi-direct D-Star promotion for U.S. and Canadian residents. Purchase a D-Star repeater through the D-Star infrastructure program. The growth of D-Star over the past four years has been incredible with the release of the ID-51A and the IC-7100. More people are getting on the air with this incredible mode. In response to the request to make the infrastructure more affordable, ICOM America and ICOM Canada are teaming up to expand the number of repeaters. Hurry, this bi-direct promotion is good for a limited time. Download the mail order form, fill it out, and send it in by mail, fax, or email today. Find out what all the D-Star fun is about. Visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM's bi-direct program. Take advantage of ICOM's D-Star infrastructure program, and also they've got closeout deals on the IC-88Ds now, Tommy. Great price on those if you want a D-Star yeah. handy talkie. Uh, you know, I did some, uh, well, I, I just threw a little something together here. Some tips on soldering tips. One of the most important things to getting a good solder connection is keeping your soldering tip clean. So let's just take a look at a few of the ways that you can do that. Keeping the tip clean is extremely important. And the method I use most often is just a wet sponge here. That cleans it off nicely and keeps it good for the next joint. You can see how nice and shiny it is. This tip has been well maintained. As far as a sponge, this is a Waller sponge right here, but you can just take a, a kitchen sponge and just cut you some slots into it so it's got something to kind of grab the solder off as you wipe it. Another thing a lot of people use is one of these little solder tip cleaners here. This has got some, looks like steel wool in it. It's actually brass. You just poke your iron down in there and it kind of scrapes it and cleans the solder off. It leaves a little bit on there, but this works as well. Now you can buy copper scouring pads at the grocery store. However, those don't work as good because the solder wants to stick to them. This is brass that comes in these rigs here. 
and that works much better. If you've got a particularly dirty solder tip, one thing I'll use is Scotch-Brite, or you could use steel wool and just polish it up with that. I do it while it's hot, so be careful, but a lot of times that will clean the grime off of there. If it's super bad, then I will take a knife or a razor blade and scrape it off, and sometimes that'll get off some of the black stuff that nothing else will. If you're in the field and you don't have a sponge or a soldering tip cleaner at all, I'll take a wet paper towel and that works good as well. Anything you can do to keep that tip clean. Now there's one other tip cleaner here. This is actually a tip cleaner and a tenner. This one is made by Timnum, but there's a lot of different brands of it out there. It's just a little can here with some material in it. You stick your soldering tip into it and you kind of twist it around, it cleans it off and it also puts a nice tin in there of some fresh solder. So there's just some soldering tips. Keep that tip clean and you'll be making happy solder. Everybody wants happy solder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did that in about 10 minutes this afternoon. That's, I, um, I just said, hey, that, that's going to have to stay there. But happy solder is... Happy solder is good, good man. Solder. It's, yeah. it's happy. It is. And of and of course, we're all members of the Burnt, Burnt Fingers Club. The Burnt Fingers Club. That's sort of, uh, oh, I don't know. That's that's sort of like hazing or something. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like somebody throwing a charge capacitor to you to catch. Well, well, have a look at that. I don't know if you can see that. Just I'll just try to get that. Oh, in, yeah. In shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see that? That's a solder burn. <laughs> I see that, That looks Peter. like a fresh one. It's yeah, it fairly fresh, yeah. What were you doing? Oh, well, um, I forget what I was doing, but, uh, but, but it yeah, it, um, just soldering on went the wrong way, so yeah. it, uh, oh, well. Well, Tommy, what have you got on your email stack over there? I know you, you got something on a related subject here. Yeah, I actually have one email left. It's from Conrad, KC9NUW. says, Tommy, for some reason I'm not able to access individual repeaters using the DVAP and the ID51A. I am able to link up to the reflectors only, though. Perhaps you could do a short video segment on AmateurLogic.tv demonstrating how to program the radio for use on repeaters through the DVAP. And that's actually a pretty good idea, Conrad. Uh, I think I'll probably put something together on that here in the near future. It should work pretty much like uh, like the DVAP or like yeah. the reflectors do. You just need to go in and uh, use the software and add your repeaters. But I think we'll cover some of that for you. Yeah, and there's a, a link right there to uh, that's a video yeah, from ICOM, a, isn't it? Yeah, there's a video from ICOM, but that's not exactly the same thing. But it's a it's a good one to look at. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's related, but it's not exactly the problem that Conrad was mentioning. Okay. All right, well, I have one more email here, and uh, this one comes from, from Bill, KG4ZJT. George, really appreciate you, Peter, and Tommy, and the wonderful show uh, that we receive on the Roku 2.0. I've recently started watching and uh, playing with the Pi version B and looking at ways to use it as an Echolink server. Thanks so much for your efforts on the last two episodes. You've encouraged me to get the W4BKD note back on the air. And that's the uh, Chipola ARC. 
amateur radio club. Awesome. There's still a few problems in there, but you know we'll we'll eventually get them worked out. Yeah, I think uh, I looked at the source code on that. I think uh, we might be able to take care of some of that. Yeah. Also, I may be doing some more Echo Link experiments here in the future with something a little different, and we'll, we'll talk about that some more. And I know you're going to be doing some more D Star experiments coming Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Always. And I got uh, before we go here, I, I want to mention something here. I got an email from uh, Phil into EU, and uh, he wanted me to mention that in the Northwest they have a yearly conference that brings together speakers on the latest topics in uh, digital ham radio. And they're celebrating their seventh anniversary now, and they want to put the word out to all hams who might be interested in attending. The date is March 29th, and we've got a link to uh, where you can learn more information about this, and that is right here, microhams.com slash MHDC. So uh, if you're in the Northwest, you might want to check that out. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show today. Um, before we go, uh, any final thoughts on things, Tommy? Be sure to check us out on the Facebook group. On the Facebook group. All the social group. media yeah. outlets. And the Google Plus and, uh, yeah. and all of them. And, and Echolink, we've got a net that's coming up here. Uh, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, it's on, uh, it'll be on this coming Monday. Uh, February 17th. February the 17th. I do that every time, don't I? Yeah. Yeah, February the 17th at 8.30 Central Time on the Do Drop In Conference server, and that's node number 355-800. Yeah, and uh, we'd be happy to see you there. That's going to be a lot of fun, as it always is. Here's a quick list of uh, where you can find us on the social networks, at Facebook, at Google+, on Twitter. Uh, hey, we're, we're just all over the place on that. And we don't want to forget the wiki, our friend uh, Dan Van Evenhoven, N9LVS. Yeah, it does a great job on that, and uh, show notes will be on there. These links that are on the show, uh, most of those are on there. And uh, if there, we have any code or anything, segments, we always post those as well. So yeah. good source information. Yeah, when you want to know uh, where we did something, just go on there and do a search, and odds are you'll you'll find which episode it was in. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of times people will email me and they'll say, Tommy, which, which show was so-and-so in? And right. that's actually where I go to look. Yeah, that's so. where I go to look, too. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, Peter? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just mention our live viewers this, uh, this particular uh, episode. And, uh, yeah, thanks for watching. Um, and, uh, look, we, we'd encourage uh, some feedback. Uh, about uh, your experiences watching us and whether you enjoyed it. Um, so uh, come to Facebook and the other uh, met methods of communication and let us know. So I guess that does it for episode 63. It's been fun. We'll be back again next month with another action-packed adventure. Yeah, and uh, we may actually stream that. You never know. You never know. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 73. 73s.
Alright, Tommy, sing the theme song here. Hey, did you check out this guy back here looking over our shoulder? I've seen that guy before. Uh, uh, Never, I better not say what I was going to say. Eye <laughs> candy. Eye candy. That's not what I was going to say. I was going to say he looks constipated. <laughs> Oh, cool, yeah. Um, he was telling me he had gotten a... You notice the distributor here is uh, sealed up, waterproof. There are shielded cables on it, so you're not going to have spark plug noise. Um, is that the... Let me be sure that's the spark plugs. Well, here's another old truck. They got several of them here at the Hamfest. This one's pretty cool. My dad didn't have one of these, but my Uncle Jed did before they moved to Beverly Hills. And <laughs> There's an easy command line that you can use to do it, and I'll put the command line right here. 